Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Hi, guys. Welcome to this episode. It is wonderful to have you on the show. Since the world is busy being flooded with the invisible virus, I thought, let me do an episode on the flood story, the story of Noah. It's the one story that has been retold from different parts of the world, from different cultures, from different angles in numerous different ways. And I, I think it's really a cool story. I mean, movies have been made about it. Um, I'm sure whether you are a Christian or not, you've heard the story somewhere or another. If you grew up in church, you've heard it in, in Sunday school. Some say it's a myth. Generally, Christians don't believe it's a myth. Generally, they believe it was a real event that took place. But either way, I'm going to be dealing with that story today. And so I will be dividing this this podcast maybe into, let's say, three sections. In the first section, I will briefly just look at uh, the common objection to Christianity um, from atheists who say that the flood is uh, is a myth and Christians believe in it. It's it's rubbish. It's it's not something that really happened. And so they say, well, Christianity is full of myths. I mean, the story was made up by Christians or, or Christ, not Christians, perhaps the Jews. And um, yeah, if, if we can't trust this story, then how can we trust the rest of the Bible? Um, and I think then I'll also spend some time on asking the question, but okay, but if I say, if Christians say that the flood is true, then how would that affect our lives? If, if it did really happen, what does that mean for us? Which I think is a very important question. And then I'll just conclude with some thoughts that we can take from the flood story that we can perhaps apply uh, to our current situation for those who are in, in lockdown and, and those of us who are affected by this global flood of the coronavirus and and hopefully there will be just some encouraging things uh, that we can take from this story now for those of you who don't know the story of the flood uh, let me let me give you a brief like overview I've got the Bible here in front of me uh, it covers about three chapters and also the story of the flood is mentioned in other places in the Bible as well so it's not just here but basically it starts with uh, in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis where it seems like this is just my own interpretation. It seems like the the the, the sons of Seth were um, having sexual relations with the the daughters of Cain. So the the sons of God were sleeping with the daughters of men, and that produced that started to produce a godless society. Uh, people were uh, the children of of those people became tremendous warriors, etc., etc., and they became extremely evil now God saw this and he said to himself all right he, he said to himself look I'm not going to uh, hang around with the human race forever I cannot handle this type of wickedness um, this type of evil I mean the the text here says that these people were so evil it's not only that their deeds were evil but even their imaginations uh, was was evil and they were evil all the time and the consequence of that is, I mean, you can imagine a world with rape, with murder, um, with lies and greed. And oh, you can imagine all the worst type of things that you can imagine. It's basically hell on earth. That's that's what it was. And God looks at us and he says, I'm not going to let this go on forever. I'm going to give mankind 120 years. So in 120 years from now, I'm going to bring an end to these people because I, I can't live with this forever. And then the, the text says that God's heart was sore. His heart was in pain. Why was his heart in pain? Well, because it hurts God when people hurt people. An evil world is a world where people hurt people. Rape, murder, steal, you know, uh, they injure each other. And so God is saying, this really hurts me and I cannot allow this to go on um, forever. And so he then finds, among all the people of the earth, he finds one man that is blameless, that is righteous, 
that is upright. And the Bible says this guy walked with God and his name is Noah. And then he says to Noah, look, and it's it's sort of like God is saying, I want to, uh, I'm going to destroy the human race, but I'm not going to destroy anybody that that doesn't deserve it. And so he finds one person in the whole world that that deserves not to die and says, okay, I want you to build a boat. And what's interesting is that often we think that the boat was because God wanted the boat to be built. It wasn't for God. It was for Noah. So the boat is really a way that God says, look, I want to save you. I don't want you to die, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring a flood upon the whole world. And I'm going to destroy the human race. And I want you to survive and to carry on with her. And so I want you to also bring um, pairs of animals onto the ark. I'm going to send them. You need to build the ark by specific specifications. And so Noah actually did that. But we read in another part of the Bible that Noah is actually a preacher of righteousness. And so it seems like in those 120 years that he that he did preach, and for some of you might be a little bit confused, but how could Noah have preached for 120 years? He couldn't even live that long. Well, Noah lived more than 600 years. He was 600 years old when the flood started, and that's a discussion for another day. But anyways, Noah went and he preached, and none of these people wanted to change or repent. And so God said, okay, you're going you're gonna to finish building this ark, and send the animals on, and then um, you can bring in your wife, and you can bring in your three sons and their, their uh, wives, and what's also cool is that they, this, their names were Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And just to give you a little bit of, a, of insight there, um, this is where the whole human race comes from. Those three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. If you're, if you're a European, then you, you come from Japheth. It's been traced back to the Japhethites uh, went and settled in Europe first. Uh, if you are a, a black person, an African guy, you are probably from Ham. Because the children of Ham, they spread into Egypt and to Libya, etc., and then if you are a Shemite, then it means that if you come from Shem, then it means you're an Arab. Um, uh, you come from the Middle East, etc. Because those are the people that stay behind. Like, for example, the Jews, they came from Shem. So the whole world comes from those three sons. And here they go onto the ark. God closes the door. He shuts them into a year-long lockdown. He sends rain down on the earth. For the people, the, the reason why the people didn't want to believe Noah is because they've never seen rain. All right. They've never even imagined a boat. And here this guy is building a boat and he's sending rain. I mean, are you insane, Noah? No wonder the people didn't want to believe him. Any case, the rain came and the people died. They were destroyed and the the, the ark rose. It, it eventually landed on Mount Ararat. Noah came off with his uh, family and then made a sacrifice to God. And then God said, all right, you know what? I'm never going to let this happen again. I will never destroy the human race again with, with water. And the, um, the sacrifice that Noah made to him really was pleasing to him. And then God said, okay, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. And that's going to be the sign with the covenant that I've made with the human race. And that covenant, guys, is made with you and me and with every animal in the field. It's a promise of God that you will never again flood the earth. So every time you see a rainbow, we actually saw one yesterday. Every time you see a rainbow, you've got to know it's a promise from God, a covenant from God. That he will never destroy the earth with water again or kill the human race with water. So in a nutshell, that's the story of the great flood. Now, the flood story is used as evidence against Christianity. And I just want to quickly talk about that for a second. I'm going to tell you why. Um, I, I listened to a debate recently where Michael Shermer um, was participating. The debate was called The Great Debate Has Science Refuted Religion. You're welcome to go check it out on, on YouTube. And, and Michael Schumer brought up the flood story 
as evidence that the Bible is man-made. Now, I'm going to play you the clip so you can hear the argument yourself. It's not long. It's like less than a minute. And uh, as, as I usually like to do is before I, before I play you the clip, I just want to tell you who this guy is. So at least you know, you know, uh, who is the guy talking. Uh, let me briefly do that. So Mr. Shermer is really a joy to listen to. Uh, he's, he's one of those nice guys, right? Although he really opposes everything that I believe. He's one of the kindest skeptics of religion I've seen debate. He's an American science writer, a historian of science, and, and a founder of the Skeptics Society. Uh, apparently, he doesn't like to be called an agnostic, a non-theist, or atheist. He doesn't like those terms. He prefers to be called a skeptic. So he's skeptical about Christianity, skeptical about the stories in the Bible. Uh, anyways, here is the clip. Religions are making different claims. They're making absolute claims to truth, and therefore the explanation that there's a cultural, behavioral genetics origin of it, then I think provides positive evidence that we made God and religions, not vice versa. For example, flood myths show similar cultural uh, influence. The Epic of Gilgamesh, which predates by centuries the Noachian flood story, tells exactly the same story. And anthropologists tell us that cultures that are uh, uh, next to large bodies of water that flood tend to have flood myth stories. Now, Schirmer here makes uh, a few assertions, which I quickly just want to address. He talks about the Epic of Gilgamesh versus Noah's Flood. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Well, this is the reason why I have this podcast, is to reveal some of the information that you don't get to read because, well, we don't get access to because you don't really read that type of stuff. And not everybody will know about that. But the Epic of Gilgamesh is a flood story. Okay, now let me give you a brief summary of it. I'm going to read to you just a brief summary. The Sumerian hero, Gilgamesh, traveled the world in search of a way to cheat death. On one of his journeys, he came across an old man, Utnapishtim, who told Gilgamesh a story from centuries past. The gods brought a flood that swallowed the earth. The gods were angry at mankind, so they sent the flood to destroy him. The god Ea warned Utnapishtim and instructed him to build an enormous boat to save himself, his family, and the seed of all living things. He does so, and the gods brought rain, which caused the water to rise for many days. When the rain subsided, the boat landed on a mountain, and Utnapishtim set loose first a dove, then a swallow, and finally a raven, which found land. The god Ishtar created the rainbow and placed it in the sky as a reminder to the gods and a pledge to mankind that there would be no more floods. So that's a brief story. So what they did is in, 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 in Syria, they dug up, I think it's Syria, yeah, they dug up um, a library and which had stone tablets that, in, in which was written cuneiform poems, etc. And this was a poem. And they found the story and that tablet dated many, many, many years ago older than the biblical manuscript. And so what he's asserting is he's asserting that, look, look, look at this story of a flood. All right. The, the Bible must have borrowed it from this story or it's just a made up story, just like the one uh, in the Sumerian tablet. So the but you can see the resemblance be between the Epic of Gilgamesh and Noah's flood. Right. Uh, there's a there's a flood. Um, the gods are involved in the process. The names are obviously different, etc. Now, he says the story is exactly the same. That's what Shermer says. Well, I don't know about you. What did you pick up? The story is not exactly the same. The names are different. Okay. The details are far less. Right. The number of gods are different. In the biblical story, there's one God. In this story, the, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, there are more gods. 
The story is also a little bit more blurry. There's a little less facts. If you look at the Noah story, you read of Noah's children who were on the ark. And after the flood, you read about exactly where they went and lived. And those places where they went to live still today have the same names as the grandkids of Noah. Just think about that for a moment. We can trace the human race back to Noah. Okay, the story of Noah is situated in today's factual world. The Epic of Gilgamesh talks about the gods Ishtar and Ea. Have you ever heard of those gods? Nobody worships these gods today. Those religions don't even exist anymore. But the Christian and the Jewish faith still do. Okay, yes, the same Yahweh in the flood story, Jehovah God, the same Yahweh in the flood story is still worshipped today across the world. So one religion survived and the others didn't. The question is why? Let me distinguish for you between a myth and a real event just quickly. Anthropologists will tell you that a myth is often the faded memory of a real event. So you have an event taking place, let's say the flood. Okay? The people who know it or hear about it knows much of the facts. But eventually the facts blur a little with the main thrust remaining. That's what we see in the Epic of Gilgamesh. We see the blurry lines about which god it was, for example. And what the guy's name was who built the ark. You get where, where this is going. Now, when you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh in the Biblical Flood story, which one has the most concrete details? Now, don't be funny. If you go to the Genesis Flood story, I mean, you've got, you've got the names of people who can be traced back, who are traced right through the history of the Bible. You've got exactly the number of days that, the, that the, it rained. You've got exact number of days that Noah was in the ark. You've got... Uh, the exact measurements of the actual ark. People in the States, there's a, there's a place where they've actually built this ark according to these specifications. It's am apparently amazing to go and look at. So that's absolutely, these are details that cannot be avoided. Now, which one do you think is the clearest and has the most facts? It's like the difference between a newspaper article and someone retelling what they read in the article. You might not remember the exact details, but nevertheless, the main gist of the story will be the same. So the one is a copy of the other. And copies will always have less factual details. Right. So let's, that's, so that's the one thing. They are not exactly the same. The one has less information than the other. Okay. Secondly, the Epic of Gilgamesh, according to uh, Michael Shermer, is older. He says it predates the flood story. Now, as I said earlier, the Epic of Gilgamesh is a poem. It's not a factual, ancient writing. Now, it is true that the Epic of Gilgamesh, the actual tablet on which it has been written, the, the, the date that it was written is older than the earliest, or the, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the latest manuscripts that we do have of the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament story, um, because they say that the, the Sumerian tablet, the story of the Epic of Gilgamesh, was really uh, dated about 2000 BC. Whereas the, the Bible that we have, or the scriptures that we have written by Moses, was written about 1200, 1300 BC. So it seems like the Epic of Gilgamesh, the story, is about 800 years older. So what he's saying is he says the one piece of writing is older than the other piece of writing. But that's not evidence that the actual story did not happen. Because the story of the flood... The actual date that the flood took place, according to the Bible, is 2348 BC. That means that Noah lived 348 years before the Epic of Gilgamesh was written. That means that the flood took place at least 340 years before the Epic of Gilgamesh was written. 
And so the document might be older or the stone on which it was written is older, but not the story. I hope you get that because I wanted to use sort of an illustration um, and I, I really thought about an illustration, but my brain just couldn't think this morning. And so I, I couldn't get up to thinking about one. I'm just I'm just too dumb, but I hope that you get the idea. The flood story took place many years before the Epic of Gilgamesh was written. That does not uh, mean that because the Epic of Gilgamesh is an older piece of writing than the actual copy that we have in the Bible of the flood story uh, suggests that the flood never happened. And then there's a there's a third statement that he or statement that he made in there that is quite interesting for for me. He says people living next to large bodies of water tend to have flood stories. The plot thickens, ladies and gentlemen. Let the cool stuff begin. Did you know that there are more than 200 flood stories across the world? Right now, I've got a diagram in front of me that sort of put all put all these flood stories together and compare it to the one that we have in the Bible. And where in the world these flood stories came from, where in which areas it happened. OK, now I want I want to just go through it quickly. It would make sense. I'm sure that you would agree with me. That people would have flood stories, especially if there are tsunamis and things like that happening, right? And so you would read it in, in people's history or the, the culture of a specific island where the, the oral tradition has continued that sometime back there was a flood. The whole island was flooded. And if you hear a story like that from people living on an island, then you would think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's most probable that they, they're actually talking about a tsunami. That doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's the flood or the flood of Noah, etc., etc. So let me just <coughs> show you here. Um, on this chart that I have of people who carry a flood story, there are three islands being mentioned. The one is the Lawad Islands, the Fiji Islands, and Hawaii. Interesting, eh? And Hawaii is really far away from the Middle East. So let's exclude those three islands and say, look, maybe their flood story, were, it was about tsunamis. Okay, that leaves us with 197 other flood stories across the world. And I'm going to just share with you some of these. Um, there, are, there are two flood stories found in Assyria, Babylonia. And if, in case you don't know what, what that is, that is where Iraq is today. Now, I don't know when last you have looked at um, uh, a map of the Middle East. Uh, Iraq is a desert place all right it is it's got a little bit of attachment to to the sea but generally it's a land locked country i mean nobody wants to go to baghdad it's desert and let me tell you this there are no beaches um that that's going to produce um, big waves uh, that's going to come over the whole of iraq so that it's very unlikely that that is about a tsunami uh we can go look at uh, persia uh, syria these are all um, basically desert countries. We can go look at Greece. Maybe you could say, because it's got a lot of sea there. Uh, Egypt has got some sea. Um, what about Lithuania? Lithuania has got a flood story. I don't know if you've, you know where Lithuania is. And it only touches the, the ocean a little bit. It's also basically almost a landlocked country. What about Russia? Russia has got a, a flood story. And, and what about India? And China, China's got one of the most prominent flood stories in the world, which many people have, have put more or less to the same date as the Noah flood story. And what about, and here it gets interesting, what about Cree and Canada and, and Cherokee in the United States and Papagua in Mexico and the Aztecs 
in Mexico who tell a flood story. And that's in central Mexico. It's not close to the sea. And Peru. Maybe we can say Peru because Peru is like down the coast. Maybe we could even say, okay, maybe this, this story came from some type of tsunami. And and by the way, if these countries talk about or these places talk about flood stories, man, those should, those would have been massive, massive um, <laughs> uh, tsunamis that would wipe out the whole country. I mean, that, that, that would be huge. But I mean, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence is unbelievable. What, in actual fact, these stories give more evidence for the flood than it would diminish the idea of the flood. The fact that, I mean, it's spread across the globe. It's North America's got a flood story. South America's got a flood story. The Middle East has got a flood story. Africa's got flood stories. Russia's got flood stories. The East has got flood stories in China, for example. It's like, and the Bible says this was a global flood. So, you know, you can, you can sit and you can choose what you want to believe, right? I can go on and on and on about the evidence for the flood. I'm just pointing this out. Flood stories are all over the world. We can talk still about the dinosaur bones that have been discovered. We can talk about the bones found stuck on the roof of a cave in South Africa, which could only get there due to the pressure of masses of water. I'm going to go into that now. We can talk about fossilized trees in North America that all lie down in the in the in the um, fossil record, and they are facing the same way. Like water came from one side, wiped them all out towards one specific direction. That those are signs of catastrophe. All of this is evidence for a great flood, but I, I think we'll leave that for another day. But ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I believe if you are rational, you would seriously consider the truth of the flood. I fully believe it really happened. Okay. I really f believe it, it It genuinely happened based on the evidence that I see. Either there was a flood and the people who, who, who spread from Shem, Ham and Japheth carried these stories with them from generation to generation to generation as they spread across the earth. And this story of the flood remained in their culture. It remained in their family lines. That's, that's either the truth or 200 different groups of people spread across the earth randomly made up the same story. I think I think it's quite clear. But now this brings up a big question. And now I'd really like you to put on your 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 spiritual cap, your, your thinking cap. If the flood really happened, what does that mean to us? If the flood really happened, what does that mean to us? Why do atheists not want the flood to be true? Why would they relentlessly seek ways to discredit it? Because, you see, if the flood is true, then the reason why it happened is true. And what Jesus and Peter said about it is also true. Because Jesus and Peter spoke about it. And there was a reason why the flood took place. You remember we spoke about that in the beginning. And if, and if what they say is true, if what Jesus says about the flood is true and what Peter says, we will have to change our ways and turn to God soon. And I think that's what the atheists fear. So let's, let me read this to you. The, the first question is, why did the flood happen? I've already given you an indication of that. I'm just going to read it again. It's in Genesis 6, verse 5 to 7. The Lord saw our great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. 
people were wicked and evil. It wasn't just their deeds that was evil. It was their imaginations too. Why does this hurt God? Because such evil hurts people. Rape, murder, hate, lies, stealing, greed. It hurts people and it hurts God. It violates his heart and will for mankind. He could not let it continue. And out of the whole world, he only found eight people worthy to live. He wanted to start anew. But what did Jesus say? About the flood. So we know why the flood took place, but what did Jesus say about it? I'm going to read you um, what Luke says, the doctor, Luke 17, verse 26. This is what Jesus says Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroy them all on that day no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them likewise no one in the field should go back for anything remember lot's wife whoever tries to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it i tell you on that night two people will be in one bed one will be taken and the other left two women will be grinding grain together one will be taken and the other left he's talking about the day that he's coming back again if the flood happened ladies and gentlemen, then Jesus is coming back. The moment you say the flood is real, then you have to take the words of Jesus into consideration. What happened in Genesis chapter 6 is that God saw man's wickedness, but he, does just, he didn't just destroy them as I, as I mentioned earlier. He gave them 120 years to repent. Many people don't know that. He sent Noah to preach to them, according to 2 Peter 2 verse 5. What did they do when Noah preached? What did the people do? They didn't care. They continued with their lives as if the flood would never happen. They thought it was ridiculous. They'd never seen rain or a boat. They thought Noah was nuts. But they denied the existence of God and continued with their disgraceful lives. And then the flood came and wiped them out. God will not allow wickedness, especially some of the current wickedness going on in our world, to continue forever. And so God has set a date. By which he will destroy this place. He will destroy wickedness again. The same thing as the flood. No wonder. No wonder. We try to find ways. To let the flood not be true. Because if the first flood was true. Then the second flood will be true too. And when I say flood. I'm not talking about God. Using water to destroy the mankind. That's another story for, that I'm going to bring up to you next. Ladies and gentlemen, the earth is going to be destroyed. God is going to bring this all to an end once again. Because he will not let the wickedness of this world continue forever. He's got a bigger plan with us. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, the world isn't that wicked. Yeah, you're right. It could get worse. But there's lots of wickedness in this world. Imagine, imagine we find out that the coronavirus was actually made by man. What a wicked deed that would have been. And you'd ask the question, the people who create something like that, that caused the death of thousands of people, does a person like that deserve to continue living in the presence of God forever? This, these are hard things, guys. And I'm not really trying to be a condemnatory. I'm just trying to point out what Jesus said about it. And what did Peter say? Let me read you what Peter said, because Peter also spoke about this. Now, Peter was a guy that walked with Jesus. Okay, he's one of the apostles. Um, so I'm going to read for us from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Do you know what a scoffer is? 
It's a person that mocks you for believing in God. That's what it is. People who mock the idea of God, who thinks it's ridiculous. There's no God. I don't know. Does that sound familiar? You can you can scroll around a little bit on YouTube and you'll find a lot of scoffers. <coughs> Sorry. They, they will say, where is this coming that God apparently promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the, the, the beginning of, of creation. So they ask the question, you guys have been saying for a long time that Jesus is coming back. So when is he coming back? I mean, come on, guys. And they're mocking us, right? But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was destroyed. Right? By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The same God that brought the flood will burn down the earth. He won't destroy it with water. He's going to destroy it with fire. What is even more interesting is that a few atheistic scientists have said in their debates that the world is on a collision course of fire and death. They themselves admit it. They say the world is going to come to an end at its current trajectory. Now, I, I really, I tried to search um, which debate it was, but I know who said it. That's the clearest in my mind, and that was Christopher Hitchens. He said that. Okay, now once again, science predicts what the Bible prophesies. The Bible says the earth, when it is destroyed, will be destroyed by fire and never again by water. And the scientists confirm that. So what is this flood story? What does that mean to us? It tells us to not think that God will not bring an end to this world, to the wickedness, to the pain, to the struggle. He's going to bring it to an end. It challenges those who, who have no regard for the one that created them. It challenges them to really rethink their position in this whole creation narrative. I don't think you want to be on the wrong side when God says, okay, it's time to wrap up. It's time to wrap up the world. Let me conclude and let's take it back to a little bit of a lighter note. I think that was just an explanation as to, as to why uh, so, many, so many atheists would not want the flood story to be true because then they would have to consider the words of Jesus and the words of Peter to be true and the reason for the flood to be true. With all that said, let me conclude with some tips from the story of Noah that might give us some hope during this time of lockdown and struggle. I don't know what your, um, your current situation is like. Each one of us, we find ourselves in a different situation. I don't know if you're annoyed, if you're frustrated, if you're tired, if, you, um, if you're just feeling down. Because of the current situation, you might be very poor. Lots of people are poor, not getting salaries. Businesses are dying. The story of Noah gives us great hope. So if you're struggling with a little bit with your current situation, I want to give you some thoughts. First of all, I want to challenge you to be patient. It will end. Ask God. God was also in a difficult situation when he looked down on the human race and they were hurting each other. They were killing each other. It's like a parent looking down, seeing his children destroying each other. All right. He was patient with the human race. He gave the human race at least 120 years. And Noah, he preached for 120 years and no one listened to him. We're in a situation now, I guarantee you, we're not going to be here for 120 years. All right. Maybe 120 days, worst case scenario. All right. Just be patient. It will end at the right time. Number two. Befriend a Noah. Go find yourself a Noah. God chose Noah because he was righteous and he, he was blameless. And he walked with him. 
Did you know that Noah made God happy? He was positive. After being humiliated and living with a bunch of animals for more than a year, you know what's the first thing he did when he got off the ark? He went in and made a sacrifice to God that was pleasing to God. God smelled it and he liked it. He didn't think about himself when he climbed off the ark. It's like lockdown ends. What's the first thing that we're going to do? Right? What's the first thing we're going to do? Are we going to go and thank God? Are we going to make sacrifice to God when lockdown ends? You know, that probably won't be the first thing that we think about. You know, I was thinking about it. I'll probably be in spur or something. Giant food that I don't have to make myself. Anyways, so, so what an attitude. He gets off the ark and he... And he makes a sacrifice. And you know what's interesting about him? He cared for animals. Now, that didn't really come into my mind the first time I read it. And you know what Proverbs 12 verse 10 says? It says a righteous man takes care of his animals. So you can sort of get a picture of what type of a person this is. Now, guys, your boat might be sinking in this storm. It might feel like you are drowning. That is why you need a Noah. Someone whose boat won't sink. Somebody who could be an inspiration to you. Somebody who walks with God. Somebody who's positive. Somebody that it doesn't matter what happens. He's going to survive this. Your boat will sink often because you built it your way, not God's way. The reason why Noah's boat survived is because he built it God's way. It's like the story of the, um, uh, of the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Right When the storms came, what happened? The wise man who built his house upon the rock, he survived the storm. Why? Because his life which is his house, was built upon the rock. And what's the rock? The rock is Christ. His life was built on Christ. So it didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter how big the storm was. It doesn't matter if it's a tsunami or a flood or it's a, a coronavirus. It doesn't matter what happens. You're going to survive because your, your, your boat has been designed by God or your house has been built upon the rock, which is Christ. This is such a wonderful time to strengthen your house, to get your life in order, to build your boat correctly, to fill up those holes in your boat that's causing you to sink. This is the time to do that. Thirdly, I would say, think about the fact that the rainbow is coming. The rainbow is coming. Something beautiful is coming for you. If you just hang in there, can you imagine what it felt like for Noah to get off that boat, walk on land again, and make the sacrifice, and then God puts this rainbow in the sky. He makes a covenant with him. Can you imagine his first meal on land? Guys, the, the time is going to come where we're going to break out of this trial. We will be prosperous again. We will be successful again. Our businesses will be rebuilt. Or there will be another plan. But God has got stuff in store for us. He's got, he's got promises that he wants to make to us if we make it through this trial. Use this time to strengthen your ship. If you're concerned about the safety of your family, focus on righteousness. You know, I've got two kids. I'm concerned about them going back to school. I don't want them to get coronavirus. Really, I don't. But if you're concerned about the safety of your family, the first place you'll start is not masks or sanitizer for your hands. It is righteousness. Because God said to Noah, go get your kids, bring them on the ark. God saved his whole family because of his own righteousness. The best place to start in protecting your children is to draw closer to God because God is the one that gave you the gift of those children. And if God shut you in, the next lesson, He is protecting you. The text tells us that when Noah and his family got into the ark, God closed the door. He shut them in. And so we are in this lockdown. We are shut in. Just remember this. God is protecting you. That's why you shut in. So don't rebel against it. Don't kick against it. 
Also, if you walk with God, you will rise when others sink. Make sure you walk with God. Here, the Noah was in the ark. His whole family was rising above the water while the rest of the human race was busy sinking. Evil and wickedness was drowning. And so, why is that? Why did he have that opportunity to be in that boat? Well, he was in that boat because he walked with God. So let's draw near and walk with God. And lastly, God hasn't forgotten you. It might feel like that. You might be praying to the ceiling. God has not forgotten you, ladies and gentlemen. The teacher is always silent during the test. The text tells us in the Genesis account of the flood that while Noah was in the ark, it says that God remembered Noah. That tells me that sort of while he was in the boat and he was wrestling with the zebras and the budgies singing to annoyance and those the, the few mosquitoes that have reproduced and been chowing him for the last year. I mean, in that annoyance, it felt like God is not there. It, 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 it felt like that to him because it felt like God went on with other business while Noah was floating on the sea or this massive global flood. But the text says, and God remembered Noah and then he brought wind upon the earth that receded the water until the ark eventually settled on Mount Ararat. God has not forgotten us. He's not forgotten you no matter how it feels. And at the right time, Noah waited a year. At the right time, God will recede the waters around you that makes you feel like you're going to drown and you're going to give up. Love you guys. Have a super week.